Welcome, dear friends, to our sixth section in the study of the Beatitudes. And may God's Spirit uh, continue to lead us as well as to comfort or convict us as we're listening to Jesus' teaching in this portion of Scripture. Let me begin with a well-established fact that is illustrated throughout all world history. And that is that Christianity isn't the only religion in our world. With religion, it is about the same as with cars. There are many models of cars, and so there are also many different models in religion. Now, back to cars, no matter what model car you have, and no matter how simple or how fancy, it is true that every car is actually very similar to the other ones. They all have wheels and axles. They have a motor and steering wheel. And as I speak, all, most of them at least, still need a person to drive it. Now, so it is with religion. In religion, all worship a God and some higher being. All hold to certain standards or moral codes. Most of them are occupied with seeking an answer on the question that is asked in Job 9, verse 2. How shall a man be just with God? But among all these religions, Christianity isn't only unique. It is unapologetic, exclusive in its answer that the question as well as the morals are the only ones. Listen to Jesus as he speaks it in one sentence. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Now, if you read that faithfully and carefully, he says there is no other way to approach God and to be reconciled with God than through him. That's exclusive, unapologetically so. Now, Jesus also taught that no matter what you say or what you do or what you give, nothing matters more if it is not done in charity. He has incredible high standard on this charity, as you can find in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. Now, charity is love, but it's a love that isn't based on the quality of the thing you love. Charity is the exercise of love as the result of a deliberate choice to love, even though the object you love is unworthy or unattractive. Although I would really desire to explore the matter of charity, this high moral quality of Christianity, I, I need to leave that. 
I need to focus on the question why Jesus claims exclusivity among all the varieties of religions. Why is he the only name, the only person given among, uh, under heaven among men whereby we must be saved? As Peter claimed about Jesus in Acts 4 verse 12. Now the answer to this question brings us to the fourth beatitude on the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are all they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. In the previous talk, I have drawn attention to the fact that Jesus' seven Beatitudes are carefully structured. You recall, hopefully, that I compared them to a person with a ribcage of six ribs, with a breastbone connecting in the middle the fourth one, and then either three on both sides. But let me add a different mental picture. And this is the picture of a fruit tree. The first three of the Beatitudes compare those to the roots feeding into the trunk. Poor morning meat. The second set of the three are the fruit-bearing branches that come out of the trunk. That makes the fourth beatitude, the massive, solid tree trunk. Yeah? That's the picture I would like you to have in mind as we look at this fourth one. Let me expand that, extend that picture of the tree a little. Yeah, a sense of my spiritual poverty, the first beatitude. A sense of my mourning over that sin, the second. And a sense of meekness as I see God's majesty and justice awakens in us a hunger and a thirst for deliverance, for a solution. And that deliverance is provided in the word righteousness and it is in the righteousness of Jesus. So then the second set of the three Beatitudes, five, six, and seven, are the fruit-bearing branches which grow out of the fourth one. Now as I see and as I taste the deliverance in the righteousness of Jesus, that will lead to the blossoming of a life of righteousness that is expressed in a devotional love to God and my neighbor. And Jesus sketches these three aspects of devotion in being merciful, in being pure in heart, and in being a peacemaker. <clears throat> so, in examining this fourth vital sign of the spiritually regenerated soul, we will seek uh, the answer on two basic questions we have asked in the previous Beatitudes. <clears throat> and the questions are, what is exactly meant with this hunger and thirst after righteousness? And secondly, then what is meant with this blessing that is attached to it, to this hunger and to this thirst.
for they shall be filled. So again, what is now the exact meaning of this hunger and thirst after righteousness <coughs> that the Lord Jesus here pronounces? As we have seen before, Jesus didn't call you blessed simply because you are poor or simply because you are sad and here also not simply because you are hungry or thirsty. Matter of fact, we're all in that condition already. We all long hungrily and thirsty for satisfaction. We hunger and thirst for an often lost and eluding happiness. We all long, no matter who you are, for a solid security in life and death. Every person longs for a fulfillment or satisfaction of the inner void that we carry within us. Yeah, we desire to be like that infant who lays contentedly in the arms of his mother with a sense of peace. We long for that. We hunger for that. And to satisfy this hunger that is in all of us, most men religiously pursue something or someone to meet our inner need or to quench this raging thirst. And in Isaiah 55, verse 2, God addresses that humanness when he asks, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, which doesn't really feed you? And why do you labor and labor for that which satisfies you not? Now the ways we labor and we sweat in order to be satisfied, of course, differs greatly from one to another. Some people are pursuing that, that in material gain. But such gain will never hug you when you're lonely. It will not comfort you when you're in pain. All that material gain cannot buy you happiness. And it will not work to avoid death. Now others go a different direction to deal with this inner void. They labor hard to get rid of the God idea. They like to live as if he doesn't exist. Either because we, we can't figure him out. There's too many contradictions. Or we find it a useless mind game. Or simply because God doesn't fit in our lifestyle. However, the majority of men get religious. And they force themselves into all kinds of religious exercises. Which are boring. Or often irksome or unexciting, or even enslaving. And sadly, sometimes they even become cruel or violent, all with one purpose, to somehow find salvation, to somehow secure peace, somehow to escape maybe the fear of death, and hell, or to somehow quiet the nagging conscience. We do all to secure the favor of God. But in all these cases, it remains true. It is not real bread to feed us. All the labors 
all the accomplishments, all the successes, all the acquisitions don't fully satisfy. There still remains an inner void or restlessness. And why is that? It's because none of those pursuits provide us what Jesus alone can provide us. And what we lost in our fall, and that's the word righteousness that he speaks about. So therefore, the blessedness Jesus speaks of is not just in being hungry or being thirsty. All of us have that. But the blessedness is in the object of this hunger and thirst. Righteousness. So then what did Jesus mean with righteousness? Well, the word righteousness is a key word in the Bible. It is mentioned over 280 times. The first time it's mentioned is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, in connection with Abraham. And there we read, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Another passage, we find this word righteousness is a psalm of David, uh, Psalm 31, verse 1, where David prayed, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust, I take my refuge. Let me never be ashamed. And then notice, deliver me in thy righteousness. He points away from himself. In Psalm 71, verse 16, he did the same thing. When he says, I will make mention of thy righteousness, of thine only, not his own. So the Old Testament already speaks about this word righteousness and it carries on into the New Testament. But what does this word really mean? Righteousness. My favorite definition is a very simple one. It means to be right and to do right. First, to be right means I will be the right person within my heart. I have the right condition in my heart. To be right means that I find within myself thoughts, motives, desires, imaginations, or abilities that would be right according to God's standard. So, besides be right, it's do right. To do right means that I will do all the right things as I use my words, as I do actions or reactions, again, according to the standard of God's law. To be right and to do right can therefore be summed up with one other key word which is very much similar, the word obedience. Yeah, think of the word righteousness and obedience as similar words. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after obedience. And to put it in perspective and to illustrate what Jesus is teaching in this beatitude, let me ask you what you would fill in in the blank 
of this statement. As water is to clouds, as heat is to sun, so happiness is to what? And the answer is obedience. Happiness is to obedience. Obedience to the law of devotional loving God and my neighbor. And once you see how happiness and obedience or righteousness are married, you understand the deepest reasons of the deep unhappiness or dissatisfaction found in us humans. And if you see this connection between happiness and obedience, you understand why Jesus calls them blessed who have learned to hunger and to thirst, not for money, goods, status, position, but for righteousness, for obedience. The word satisfaction is in connection to this. In most of our minds, the word satisfaction is defined as having enough. But interesting, in the Latin root of that word, satisfaction does not mean having enough, but means doing enough. And this little tidbit of language study is a key to understanding the fourth beatitude. Someone is hungry and thirsty, is not satisfied. But when will he be satisfied? Not when he has enough, but when he does enough. And he does enough to answer the original purpose for which we were created, to glorify God, to love Him, to serve Him, and to serve our fellow creatures in devotional love. And that doing enough is to be right and to do right. That doing enough is righteousness and is the key to true happiness. Or to say it in another way, only when I live in perfect righteousness before God and with all my fellow creatures will I again experience what paradise was before sin broke it apart. Now can you see now how deep-seated our problem is? Can you see that since we are spiritually poor, we're destitute or bankrupt in being right and doing right, that we are lost, that we are doomed to be in a life that will never, never satisfy. And why? Because we aren't righteous. We can't be righteous. Or to say it simpler, I can't be and I can't do what is right in the eyes of God. Now that brings us back to the fourth beatitude. What does it mean that someone is hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Well, it means obvious that this person doesn't find righteousness within him or herself. You know you are hungry and thirsty when your stomach is empty. You can't fill that with yourself. 
be that outside of you. And so the person that Jesus is here describing as the blessed person is a person who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness he obviously doesn't possess. He doesn't find in himself. He can't produce it either. You cannot just fill your own stomach with yourself. Now, did this person try uh, to be right and to do right in themselves first? Well, undoubtedly. We all do that at first. Once we discover that we are not what we are to be and not do what we do, we are trying to be. We try to polish ourselves up. We try to change. We try to make ourselves acceptable to God by our doing or by our undoing, by our thinking, by our inner being. And yet, as the Holy Spirit opens up your eyes, you learn what Scripture says elsewhere, that our best is still filthy in God's sight. And why? Ah, because God looks deeper than the outside. He sees it falls short of the perfection that is in God and that we once were able to love in perfection. That discovery, that all falls short of being perfect in righteousness, creates this intense hunger and thirst. So then secondly, why is this a blessing to experience this kind of hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now that question is even more urgent when we learn to see the meaning of the original Greek for hunger and thirst. Jesus is here not describing a healthy, normal appetite or thirst. No, the hunger is painful hunger. The word thirst is parched thirst. Those are the words he describes here. Now, why would you call that condition blessed? Now, again, as in before, this kind of hunger and thirst for righteousness is not a natural hunger. As in all Beatitudes, again, this hunger and thirst for the righteousness is a fruit of the Spirit's saving work. But secondly... This hunger and thirst for righteousness, the Holy Spirit uses us to lead us to Jesus Christ. Let's just for a moment ask the question, who is Jesus Christ? And I'll let you hear the answer from Jeremiah 23, verse 6, where it says, He is the Lord, our righteousness. That scripture speaks prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ as being the Lord, our righteousness. As Jesus was born, he was sinless. As he lived his life, as you can see in the biographies of the Bible, he lived a sinless life. He was continually declared innocent. In other words, he was right, sinless. He did right. He is the righteous one, the only one. In him, God the Father provided a perfect Savior, exactly suitable to what we need. Friends, 
what God requires from us to be right, to do right, he provided in Jesus our righteousness. To say it simply, in Jesus Christ, God provided us the enough being and enough doing. Jesus did enough in his life to provide the requirement, required obedience to live with God forever. And Jesus did enough in his suffering and in his death to provide the required obedience that would pay the ransom price we owe God. Or as J.C. Rao puts it in one brilliant short sentence, our salvation is in Jesus doing and dying. And in both he did enough. And on the basis of his righteousness, we can be reconciled to God and be received in God's eternal embrace without him ever lowering his standards of justice and holiness. Now can you see how this hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ is like the heartbeat of the new creature? Friends, it is good to have a sense of your spiritual poverty. It is good to be humbled about it. It is totally fitting to mourn over your sins as you see the loss you've caused. It's also proper to be meek before God. Yet poverty, sadness, meekness will not save you. It, it doesn't pay for the guilt against a broken law. It doesn't restore God's honor. It doesn't wipe away guilt. It doesn't satisfy the charge against us of holy justice. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ received by faith that will put you right before God. Blessed is he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness provided and seen in Jesus Christ. Now we sure to hear what Jesus says. Even if your faith doesn't come any farther at this moment than a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that is provided in Jesus Christ, you are blessed already. And that brings me to my third and final reason why he calls you blessed. They shall be filled. Your hunger and thirst after righteousness will not always remain. They shall be filled. Jesus' original wording in the Greek is very strong again. He says they shall be fully satisfied or saturated. That means every need that we feel now in this not being righteous shall be met. Every hunger pain for righteousness shall be filled. All our unrighteousness, our unfitness will be covered in the sight of God by Jesus' righteousness like a garment covers my body. All our unrighteousness Every lack of being right and of doing right will be completely removed.
for we shall all be made like unto Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Psalm 89, verse 15 and 16, in a brilliant way, states this promise in a different beatitude. Here it is. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound of this gospel and believe it. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance, that means in thy favor, and in thy name, the name of Jesus, they shall rejoice all day. And then here it comes, in thy righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus doing in us, they shall be exalted. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I have a couple questions to conclude. Do you know this type of hunger and thirst? I mean, this hunger and thirst after righteousness, after being like Jesus, after being conformed in the image of God. If you do, you are a blessed man or woman. Now, is this lack of your righteousness that you can't find in yourself, bringing a certain sense of despair about yourself and about your salvation? How blessed this is if this leads you to look and to depend on Jesus Christ only. And thirdly, has the Spirit begin to open your mind to the gospel of Jesus that in Him God provides us the righteousness and the obedience we need. How blessed you are. For if God created in you this hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ and Him the righteousness, He will surely satisfy you. So is His promise. So may God bless this message. And again, make us a blessing to others as we share his glorious truth. Thank you.